Anecdotal Anatomy is a weekly podcast that covers a range of topics relating to living in a body. We put on our storyteller hats and open the book that is our body to reveal the stories it holds and the stories it tells. You know as well as we do that this is an epic tale that may take a lifetime or more to fully understand. Our aim is to keep connecting the dots of our individual experiences with those of the greater collective, to show how connected we are, that we share the same fundamental journeys, and that we are not alone, even within our feelings of aloneness. Today's conversation is an extension of last episode's theme of the heroic journey. To keep things simple, we are using the word heroic to imply both the hero's and heroine's journeys. We both agreed that this topic of the heroic journey, as it relates to embodiment, was one of the more challenging conversations we've had. Challenging in the way we stop short in moments of self-realization or must squint to see where to connect the next dot. Once we got rolling, what we perceived as challenges became waves of thought creating a freedom of ebbs and flows which carried us through. Perhaps this week's episode was on its own heroic journey. Before we start, we want to shout out to our thoughtful listeners. Your invisible presence motivates us to keep growing, and your feedback has been a heartwarming bonus. Thank you for showing up each week. You are our why. I'm Sherry Sadoff-Hank. I'm Teresa Tobin-Macy, and we are Anecdotal Anatomy. We're we're talking about the hero's journey today, and the first thing you said was? I think that in preparation for all of the different episodes that we have, this is the most challenging. This was uh, just had layers of both vulnerability and resilience and confusion and I think it's the episode (laughs) that I was asked to look at myself more than any other episode that we have prepped for. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, this is also the episode. So we are doing these couplets. But this is the episode where we had two different fucking amazing guests who had said yes. And I'm hoping that they will come on in the future. Um, But for scheduling purposes, the universe redirected all of the the conversation that we had designed for today um, and sort of requested (laughs) without (laughs) words that we we do the second one again together. And so I I agree that it it had us looking deeper and it's very challenging. So I have no idea what's going to happen today. <laughs> you don't either. But I am so, even though I don't know what's happening, you know, I was thinking this morning as I was doing these last bits of prep, just um, how grateful that I am to know that there are people out there who are listening, that our listeners are out there, and I visualize them. You know, I don't know all of them, but... I do know many of our listeners, so it was really comforting to me while I was going through the process to be able to visualize some of the people who have given us feedback, some people that I know who are um, listening week by week, but also sharing feedback that they're on the journey with us. Uh, So for that, I am so grateful to know that they are here. Welcome back. 
I, oh, for sure. Um, and that all the things we talk about are universal. So they are, they are not they, they are we, they are us, they are, you know, um, but I have done the same thing with certain people that I know who are listening, that it brings, it brings the whole community. There's, they're together. I'm trying, I'm practicing finishing sentences. I <laughs> caught myself there. I almost went off on a tangent. And the tangent though, is that uh, as someone who was a performer at some point in my life, I used to play with this idea of the invisible audience. And I'm mm. sure I'm not the only one who, you know, had posters of your favorite people on your walls as teenagers and imagined that maybe they were actually there. <laughs> that they could see and hear everything that was going on. Yeah, I actually have a picture up there. I'm going to redirect my, my camera, even though this is audio. I've got my Supernatural boys up there from one of the conferences. And yeah, fun doing this. Sometimes I imagine <laughs> that I can talk to them. Um, but, you know, doing this, this podcast, it's, we know we have listeners, but it's an invisible audience. It's, um, you know, when we're going through our individual things, it's also nice to remember that we're never alone. Mm. Oh, and thank goodness that we aren't, <laughs> right? Because the heroine of the heroic journey, as we're calling it, the blending of the two, um, can sometimes feel a bit lonely. And... You know, there's a lot of, we talked about the road of trials last last week, and we'll maybe dive into it a little bit deeper. But it is nice to know that when you're on these roads of trials and you're in this place of, you know, self-exploration, um, diving deep, to know <laughs> that we are not alone, yeah. uh, that there are so many people that are taking the same journey or, you know, not the exact same, but similar journeys of their own. And to, I had to be reminded and um, to lean in mm -hmm. instead of feeling like I'm an island, I can do it all by myself. <laughs> I am strong, I am resilient. You and I have talked about this. I was like, I don't need to prove I'm resilient anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Got it in the bag. You can check that off your list. Thank you, um, universe. There's other things. <laughs> You know, so it really wasn't an accident that we crafted the season this way because, you know, asking the question about what is embodiment. So this entire season is about embodiment. So everything we talk about somehow relates to that. Um, so we asked the question and then we went into archetypes and patterns. So when you just said, you know, sometimes we feel like an island and that, you know, it's we're not alone and that we can ask the question, but the archetypes and patterns are that sort of more global reminder that we're not alone because these archetypes have survived millennia. You know, they've survived many different cultural influences, many different, you know, geographical influences. And yet somehow these archetypes and patterns still resonate with us. You know, we're still able to relate to them and learn from them because we are them. And so that alone is a reminder that we're not alone. And so now we get into this journey. We go from identifying these archetypes and patterns into the movement, into the living aspect of that, the embodiment of those that we take with us on this hero's journey, on this heroic journey. And I just find that amazing. It's mind blowing, actually, if you think about it. You know, when you speak and we have these conversations together, and then we talk about the um, collective and how, um, you know, many people are feeling and being in the same journeys as we are. And then you say things like, <laughs> there's all this movement. 
I'm reminded at how many times you and I are in sync. We'll start to plan something, <laughs> and then we talk, and we're like, oh, my gosh, that's what's on my list. And in our planning sessions, we find the overlap. And I bring up that word because movement was the first word that I wrote down <laughs> to work with today. Um, so <laughs> there you are again, Sherry, reading my mind. Oh, man. Um, it's it's like, a messy it's a messy place to be, but you know you gotta, <laughs> you, gotta you know tidy up a little bit. Nah, nah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. It is a messy place to be sometimes, um, but I've noticed how much movement has happened in my life um, in the past two years, and I'm sure that's a collective thing. Everybody has movement in their life, right, in all different ways. But I started to in this embodiment and and looking at the outline of this journey I said well if I have a map I might as well fill in the destinations along the way a little bit to gain a little bit more clarity and we've already talked about my woo-woo factor and the idea that I like a beautiful mind map that lays it all out for me <laughs> to make it very orderly there's that um, over identification with my masculine energy right? <laughs> But there has been so much movement. And, you know, as a body worker, I talk about the layers, right? And we talk about that in yoga and in massage and in so many things that we're peeling back the layers mm -hmm. of this onion. And there's been a lot of layers. And if last season, if you haven't listened to last season, go ahead back and look at that. I talked about you know, my journey with my skin and literally peeling off the layers of who I am because the um, treatment was on my face. And we identify with the face we see in the mirror all the time. So as those layers began to peel off in a physical Anamaya Kosha view that I could look right in the mirror and see, I just noticed well, this was the first layer. You know, for whatever reason, the universe gave me something very physical, very tangible mm -hmm. to see that I was on this road of trials and transformation was just beginning. Wow. So another <laughs> synchronicity, because right before we came on, I wrote this. How do the koshas show up on the heroic journey? And I wrote, in that first moment of inquiry or awareness of the choice to leave, so the first, you know, for the heroine's journey, I think you mentioned there's a question of, you know, when did we separate and why are we leaving? There's a sense of needing to know why we're moving forward, um, at least some introspection. So in that first moment of inquiry or awareness that we have a choice to leave, that the physical body may experience a sensation. Maybe, you know, we get that, those butterflies in our tummy or, mm -hmm. you know, a tense, a, a, a physical contraction that happens when we react to something we may or may not even want to do. Um, and then we have the, the, so there's a choice to leave. Yeah. What do we do? So then let me see what we say. So we get the sensations. And then when the choice to leave is made, the body becomes the container of the adventure. But it's always the container of the adventure. But because we're framing it in a very deliberate way, you know, it might be an, a nice image to have as just the Anamaya Kosha container. And then um, natural energy and breath patterns will be affected. You know, when you're excited about something, you get the energy and your breathing patterns change. And so 
all just knowing about this map, about the koshas, and about the heroes, the heroic journey. I'm going to try to change my language. It gives us extra ability to make choices and to be aware of what we're doing. So we 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 pay attention to that, and then maybe the mind comes in to rationalize to say, man, this isn't a good time. You know, don't take the journey now. You're not ready, and just stay where you are. Status quo is good. Yes. And then maybe that happens once or twice because like we've talked about that our we're we're hardwired to resist change. So at some point the mind becomes overridden by our wisdom body, all the acquired wisdom that we have over our experiences, and wisdom says, "Mind, shut the fuck up. We're going to do this. We're going to go, we're going to have this adventure, and we're ready because we've had all of this preparation from all of these other experiences." And so the bliss body is, you know, the the language, just saying bliss gives us a certain feeling. But I'm going to say for this purpose, the bliss body is the integration. It is the integration of all of that information and energy that um, that happens at the end of that circular journey. So you take the whole journey and you come back. So you've gone, you've kind of met your mentor, you've had your trials and tribulations, you learn what you need to learn, and you come back changed. So that change is all of that integration, and that's your bliss. So if the language just used in that telling is like, nah, what are you talking about? Go back to season one where we really dive into the koshas. But this is all in relationship to your talking about peeling back the layers and that the koshas are the layers. Oh, man, that, uh, the thing that I loved most was the container of the adventure. I mean... It was all great, but the <laughs> container of the adventure just started like bells going off <laughs> in my head of really learning to honor, honor the container. And you laid it out so beautifully in the, um, in the koshas, but I also wanted to really talk about that journey and the start of this podcast at the time that it came into my life and then me taking the journey through the koshas was not only did they have their own map to them which is not exactly a map it's more of a layering but through the process of taking that journey together and bringing these that information to all of you who are listening i started to recognize that before I started my journey, I was kind of numb. That I had damped down a lot of my emotions. Um, I was getting into this pattern of getting it done because it was a pattern. I knew what I had to do next. I knew what my who my next client was. I knew what my next place was. I knew what my next task was. And so I think that that is kind of defaulting into this very organized male structure of here's the list of tasks and I can get them all done and I'm good at it. That is something I'm really, really good at. I'm good at showing up. I'm good at getting the job done. But as I came into this journey of knowing that there was this transformation that was eminent and it was happening, I started to realize that I was a little bit numb. And I didn't create space for all emotions. I created space for the ones that I wanted to feel. And um, 
and that left out a lot that were that are really important to this journey to create space for sadness or grief or to have permission <laughs> to be unfocused and undirected for a while and to wander around mm -hmm. and i talked about this with you and i may have mentioned it in an episode in the first i did i don't remember which one i'm sorry um, <laughs> you're forgiven <laughs> i remember saying I was laughing so hard that I began to cry. And I just couldn't stop this uncontrollable laughter. And it was at that very moment that I think I made the transition in my journey to say, I can feel again. And now if I have a day through this journey where I'm like, I just feel like crying all day long, instead of it being devastating and like, oh my gosh, I'm acting so vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I can sit back and say, whew, I really just need to process whatever this is. And sometimes I know exactly where the tears are coming from. And sometimes they're just tears that um, are wound up in the emotions and it's time to let them go release you think about it through tears they say that the chemistry of happy tears is different than the chemistry of sad tears uh, but I know I'm not gonna sing again you're welcome um, <laughs> but the Joni Mitchell laughing and crying it's the same release the release may feel similar but interesting about the chemistry now I know enough to kill us all when it comes to science so I'm gonna just leave it there and Google <laughs> is my friend um, what I find fascinating and organic in this whole process because of podcasting and you know wanting to tell the stories that that move us um, is that the stories that we told in season one with each of the koshas is direct, they're all directly relatable to the hero's journey. Mm. You know, I think about the ones, you know, even just talking about the building of my backbone, you know, moving in and, and confronting and having difficult conversations as a young teen to ask for a raise or to advocate for myself in a, an uncomfortable boss employee situation. You know, every single one of these moments that calcified a vertebrae for me um, is, was all part of that that stage of my hero's journey. Now, I think it's a misunderstanding to say hero's journey, like sometimes we say karma. It's really karmas. It was a, you can create 64 karmas in the snap of a finger. I don't want to go there. There's some monks years ago meditated on it. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but this idea that the koshas, all of the things that we're talking about are all related. None of it is separate. You know, each of our stories contributes to uh, a paver on our path. Yeah, I mean, coming back to the koshas really just um, highlights so many transitions along this journey for me. I mean, having Shauna highlight joy and, you know, yeah. making the suggestion to prioritize joy is what I took away from our conversation with Shauna and how our guests showed up at exactly the right time with exactly messages that I personally could use and I'm hoping that everybody else is taking some of that away on their own journeys. But, you know, not that they all didn't touch 
-hmm. something important for me. But Shauna and prioritizing joy and really talking about coming back out of our heads and into our bodies, embodiment, kind of flipped the switch of, oh, there's a lot to think about here. Mm-hmm. And another major transition that I had in this journey was our discussion and the course that I took with Susanna Harwood Rubin, which was 30 Things About the Goddess. And honestly, there was so much content in there. I, I, it's going to take me years to go back and really look at it. However, there were a few goddesses that she introduced that I really, really resonated with. But more importantly, I think what I took away from our discussion with her on the podcast and the course was that my spiritual practice had kind of gotten really dull and hard to connect with. Hmm. And in hearing the way she spoke and the practices that she offered, Mm -hmm. and in small enough bites that I could incorporate them easily into my day, started to was is another place on the on the journey right is that the recognition that we're kind of spiritually depleted or we're not giving it enough focus so i'm just amazed i really am just amazed and overwhelmed looking back at the synchronicity of um, me starting a journey and then you and i after how long have we talked about anecdotal anatomy? It fell <laughs> in right, years. At, yeah. right, and it fell in right at the beginning of the journey. And then the guests really guided me in ways that were completely unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, to and and when I'm looking at it and preparing, I'm like, oh, I made that transition when I started talking with Shauna, or I made that transition with Susanna, or, you know you kind of really laid out the story arc because that's your beauty. I mean, that's your brilliance is telling the stories. Um, But the story arc, even, I'm so grateful that that even fit in so seamlessly into what needed to be learned and experienced. You know, the goddesses are all archetypes Mm -hmm. that have their own particular patterns and they are universal. So this is one of the things that I think is sort of important in this conversation is to recognize that there are levels of engagement with the hero's journey, at least from my perspective. And, you know, this is casual conversation. This is, you know, my my understanding and my sense is that there's a cosmological uh, hero's journey. You know, we look at the different climate ages of the earth you know we've got climate change happening now more accelerated but climate change has always happened we had an ice age we've had different ages um, and you know we definitely contribute to the acceleration of it to to a natural occurrence so you know they can we can hold space for both things to be true but if you look at that there's been you know there's no consciousness involved so there's no choice to go on this journey unless maybe there is a conversation to be had about the earth having its own kind of consciousness but it's different than ours and so this this organic shift that requires that all the living things on the earth and within the earth adapt or die like that's the darwinism piece of it you know adapt mm. or die so you know the earth has gone through its own cycles and changes and it's 
you know, like I said, the, the living aspect also is affected. But then there's the sort of mythological. So we're, I'm going from the largest down to the individual. We've got the cosmological, which happens, you know, the universe, things are happening out in the multiverses that, you know, I don't understand, but there's change and there's a journey. So we get to the mythological. Now, Greek and Roman God, that, that kind of thing always confounded me. Seventh grade, Mrs. Johnson, that's, you know, a whole other thing. But in the 1990s, I was obsessed with King Arthur. I think I mentioned this, you know, I read The Mists of Avalon and that was it. Now, I've lost a lot of my knowledge of the intricacies of the legend, but here's boy Arthur, you know, he doesn't really, he's just living his life. He doesn't know that, you know, Merlin had given him to another family to be raised. He didn't know that Kay wasn't really his brother. He didn't know all these things. He's just a little kid. And then, you know, his brother, Sir Kay is, you know, or not Sir, Sir Kay at the time, but Kay is doing his little, you know, jousting kind of, um, there's a, a big tournament. And he doesn't have his sword. So, you know, Arthur's running around trying to find the sword. And, you know, I think he sees the sword in the stone and he, he resists it at first. He doesn't take the challenge. And then he pulls it with ease and he becomes the king. So all of a sudden he's got this, this new world that, you know, he's got to walk. He's got people relying on him. But it's his mentor, Merlin, who is the one who helps to guide him through the journey. And, you know, he creates Avalon, or not Avalon, he creates Camelot. He ends up in Avalon, but that's another story. But so Camelot is the ideal, and that's what he's created, but there's also trouble there. So anyway, that's the more mythological encapsulation of this hero's journey. And then we come to like the modern reflections. Is This is just how I'm kind of seeing it, how the hero's journey is reflected in movies and books and TV shows and in, you know, just the storytelling around us. You know, Katniss, we got the Hunger mm -hmm. Games, got Frodo and Bilbo Baggins, they're doing their thing. We've already talked about, you know, the Yellow Brick Road and Dorothy, and we've talked about, you know, Siddhartha and Odysseus. But there are a lot of modern ones as well that uh, we, we gravitate. For me, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You know, that is, I think, one of the greatest shows on television ever made. I think that the layers of, of history that were created, the, the, the allegories and the, um, the myths that, that Joss Whedon created were pretty fucking cool. But so we can see our own journeys reflected in uh, modern myth. And then we have, you know, our own lives. Well, let me also say in that, I'm going to come down one more that you mentioned in the last two years, the movement. Well, we've also in the last two years experienced this pandemic globally. So we have had another global kind of hero's journey that we were all asked to rise to on some level or another. Um, and so you can tell your own stories about that. It might be a little too soon <laughs> to really go, go dive into that. But then we have our individual stories. And I just asked my husband if it was okay to reference him because I know I've been talking a while, but just to, to say that he has a chronic autoimmune disease that was started out as Guillain-Barre syndrome and became chronic and it's now CIDP. You can Google that. Um, and so for the last several years, he's been getting uh, twice a month IV IG, the immunoglobulin, globulilla, the, the medicine <laughs> through an IV. So, you know, the choice became clear. You know, his veins began to roll. He had a vagal, vagal response to one of the, the pokes that, you know, we were thinking might be time for a port, you know, if he's going to be doing this for a long time. But there was, a, I guess, a relatively new, I don't even know how, how new this is, but there's, he could, uh, he started doing subcutaneous 
um, delivery of the medicine. Um, he went through a couple of training sessions with his nurse, and the other day he did it for the first time by himself. He had to mm -hmm. stick himself with four different lines in his, in his belly, and I was so proud of him. I'm watching this man who I've known, you know, I met him when I was, I think, 28, 29, 30, and 53 now, we've been together over 20 years. And um, he had just was a normal guy doing his thing and then had this event. And that event turned into another event and just had him rise to each occasion. And as I'm watching him, almost with a sense of, I mean, it's autonomy for sure. He doesn't, he's no longer reliant on the guide. The nurse was his guide in this to help him on this journey. But now he's responsible for managing it himself. And this has become, he's made full circle here. And now he's returned changed and with new skills and with the ability to adapt to this new normal with such grace. And I just, I needed to say that because he'll say, I'm no hero. And well, no, he doesn't wear a fucking cape, but it was heroic the way that he approached this whole thing. And I just, I need to put that out there for all of the individuals who are managing their health um, with, with grace and even with fear, because fear is part of it too. Whew. Yeah. And wow. Thank you actually for sharing, um, for sharing that story. And thank you to Brian for letting us use his story, um, as well, because I found it to lend such a deep level of hope. Right? When you talked about how he is now autonomous in his own self-care, that, you know, he took the time, he went, did what he needed to do. The nurse helped to educate him. So he went through this process of trials and the things he needed to do. And then he learned what he could do to care for himself. And I think it's such an important part, with or without this heroic journey, for there to be a um, level of importance placed on self-care and, you know, being autonomous and being able to look at ourselves, find out what we need and step into that journey of wellness and transformation, knowing that the beginning might be hard, but these examples show us that, yeah, um, it's might be difficult, but look at where we're going to get to. I worked for <laughs> the dentist that I worked for f for over 25 years or worked with, with for that long would say, if it was easy, anybody could do it. It was just one of the things that he would say often. If it was easy, anybody could do it. But I think we can make that transition to say anybody can do it. If we take the steps and we find, like you had mentioned, he had the guide, he had his nurse to take him step by step. Throughout my year, I've had a significant amount of guides that have come into my orbit. My counselor that I see regularly, she's a fabulous guide. Our guests were different types of guides. They may have only touched in, you know, they had contact points. Um, but they showed up and became guides to lessons I needed to learn. You've been a guide. Some days we show up to, <laughs> to record and prep and I'm like, ah, oh. and you know, then you I, can be a sounding board and a guide. Um, you know, family, friends, there is just, 
I think it's important for us to understand or for me to understand and maybe share that when we open ourselves up to be okay with being vulnerable and allow ourselves to see these guides, then we know that we're supported in the journey. I think that's key. I think the the noticing the guides, and I love when you always say what we see is not an accident. What we take in is not random. You know, the lesson you learned from Shauna was one that, you know, and from Susanna, these were, and they bookended the, the our, our guests. You know, Shauna was our first guest and Susanna was our final guest. And all of them, I mean, Val and, and Wendy and Amy, they all contributed to this this story that we're now getting to to relive and to you know embody but so this idea that if we're aware of this journey of the map of this journey then when people come into our lives we might be more curious why they're here you know sometimes it's just to chill out have fun and laugh some people are just put in our path to make us fucking laugh and mm-hmm. some like you are one of my guides you have been a, a, a reflection of not only some of the attributes that I celebrate in myself, but also those things in myself that I really want to work on. And so I am so grateful for that opportunity. Even just doing this podcast is vulnerable. You know, I, you know, I, I should probably never listen to it after <laughs> you know, where we talk. It's like when Brene Brown talked, you know, when she quoted the Roosevelt, was it Roosevelt, the being in the arena? that our arena is a little smaller right now, but it's still an arena and we're out there and it is fucking scary to to say opinions, to put out your voice and to um, know that people will hear it. Some people will disagree vehemently. Some people will be like, oh my God, what a fucking idiot. Like, what do you, why would you, you know, whatever the, the responses are. But then those responses, the in- invisible audience, are reflections of my own inner discursive thought. You know, is it real? What is real? What is not? As we walk on this journey, on this path to, you know, whether it's enlightenment, whether it's for more compassion, um, that this journey, if we understand it, if we know that we're on it, then we know other people are also on it. And maybe it's an opportunity, I think I may have touched on this last time, to practice and cultivate empathy. You know, to know mm. that someone is is vulnerable, they're on their path, maybe their response or reaction to something wasn't their highest vibration, <laughs> it wasn't from their highest frequency, because maybe they're not living in their highest frequency in that moment. And we can all relate to that if we're honest with ourselves, that we've all had moments of being the asshole, of being the dick in the conversation. And yeah, mm. I have certainly been that. (laughs) And so have I. I've passed through a lot of low vibration Teresa's in this journey, which is why I'm so grateful when, you know, high vibration people are shown to me because I also am grateful for that mirror that, um, you know, to be able to step back and go, okay, right? You are really, the way that you're showing up is in a low vibration. And it's okay, right? We do need this ebb and flow of being our best self. But I honestly believe that when we come down and we begin to notice that we're in a much lower vibration, that stuff is going on, and maybe we're not, I'm not showing up as my best self, that that's my opportunity to learn too. That's the reflection, the mirror that is showing me, you haven't, really address this thing yet and until you address 
this issue, this part of yourself, this confusion, because a lot of times it is, it's a confused space mm -hmm. that hasn't been worked out completely yet, that, you know, mindfulness, meditation, sitting with it for, <laughs> and consistently sitting with it is that uh, very, very valuable gift of time that I've given to myself that says my meditation and mindfulness, my sitting practice is no longer negotiable because Huge. I've recognized I'm stepping in at a low vibration and it's because as the journey started and things got chaotic, you know, even as a therapist who offers practices, sometimes when life is the most chaotic and things are the hardest, it becomes the most difficult to access those practices. See, and I have a different experience. Mm. When I am at my at the most challenging, I rely on my practices. You know, I am they are the cushion, they are the the they're the 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 lens wiper. You know, when you get glasses, you get the little cloth that helps to clear <laughs> your glasses. They don't use tissues. If I use a tissue or my shirt, it fogs up my glasses or smears them a little bit. But this special cloth that I get to clear my lens with is like my meditation practice, which has also become non-negotiable for me over the last several years. And I think that that is a key. You know, people will sit and be like, I'm so bad at meditation. I can't let my mind still. Well, you know, do you not go to the math class because you don't know the math? Well, I don't go to math class because I don't do math. But, <laughs> um, but this is only to say, you know, I can't do yoga because I can't touch my toes. Well, this is all a misunderstanding of what any of these are about. Yoga is not about touching your toes. And meditation is not about emptying your head, at least in my experience. It's about curiosity, about the way our minds work. We are human beings. We are thinkers. We have thoughts. Why would we want to eradicate that which is natural to our, our state of being? What is important, I think, in the intention, or at least my intention for sitting, is so that my thoughts don't become the driver. They're not the thing that is moving me to react, that I can have pauses and spaces between my thoughts enough to be able to respond rather than react. And so the beauty of consistency, you know, showing up and noticing the difference between that very first sit when you might take a, an instant Polaroid snapshot of where you are through all the koshas and then take snapshots along the way to see how you're progressing. Maybe you journal, maybe you, you know, dictate notes, whatever you do, but to notice how the consistency is affecting your patterns, your breath, your experiences, your response time. Um, I think that's the value of a householder yogi. I'm doing loose air quotes. Unless you're choosing to be in a mountain somewhere, which is a valid choice, um, then our thoughts are necessary. You know, we need them to manage the earthbound, you know, experience. So I don't, that's what mm -hmm. I want to say about that. Show yeah, up every day. Uh, <laughs> show up every day. And that earthbound experience, I think, um, I want the earthbound experience was something that came to me organically and it was walking. And when you talk about meditation and creating the space to be with your own thoughts, I find that to be so deeply valuable. And many times it's sitting. I take my seat now that I'm really re 
you know, reconnected. I took a little break. I came back. I take my seat and um, dive into my practice. I create the space for thoughts to come and go, for the breath to flow in and the breath to flow out. But also, a walking meditation is something that is so deeply healing for me, it is to take a step outside into nature. Siva's usually with me, but sometimes she's not. Sometimes I take it all to myself and make her stay at home <laughs> so that even I don't even have a four-legged influence in my journey. <laughs> but that with each step, as I leave my house and go out into whatever part of nature I've chosen, whether it's a walk on the farm or a nature trail or here in Bucks County, we have the towpath, which is beautiful. Or maybe I'll take a ride to the beach and walk next to the crashing waves. What I find is that with each step, I can embrace stillness so deeply that I can, my, my thoughts will soften in such a natural and organic way as they're replaced with the song of the bird song or the sound of leaves rustling because there's a light breeze in the air or the sound of the waves crashing and I can visualize my thoughts as the same ebb and flow of the water. They come in and I see them, the wave crashes and then the water gently goes back out to sea to pick up another thought and bring it in. And sometimes they just come in as sound. So I think, you know, you had mentioned that oftentimes people say, I can't sit, I can't quiet my brain, right? Um, and I've heard those same things where, you know, it can feel like the practice is hard to reach. But the knowledge that... To that I would say... Yeah, you would say... No, I, was you, say to, I would say sit with the noise. Let yes. the noise be rather than resist it because that's data too, you know, and then over time, if you keep showing up, then the curiosity is, oh, I didn't realize so much space has happened in between those thoughts. They used to just come one after the other after the other. And the acknowledgement that the thought is there, I think there, there's a process too. You don't just, you know, let the thoughts overtake you. But when you recognize that you are thinking, you can say to yourself, thinking and come back to your breath as many times as you need to to be able to see how many thoughts I'm having in this time like oh my gosh I've said thinking 400 times in a 20 minute sit and then wow I've only said thinking roughly 20 times in the last sit you know so it's not how many times it's the awareness practice you know mm. yeah where are because you can't make you know real deliberate choices until you're aware Whew. And awareness, <laughs> that's another word we can do an entire po podcast around is awareness and mm -hmm. how do we deepen our awareness of self. And I really believe that the more time I invest in deepening my awareness of self, I can mm -hmm. hit those other layers that you've talked about. I can take myself to family, my awareness of family, my awareness of community, the collective, the universal. There's a lot of layers of awareness. But I do like the idea that we're in this, in the depths of talking about practices. 
So and we are near the end, and um, or at least near, we have about 50 minutes in. So um, do we want to start talking about practices for this particular episode? I would love that. Excellent. I would love that. <laughs> would you like you, to... Do oh. <laughs> you want me to start with a practice, or would you like to start with a practice? Well, I, I guess I'll start because it's not really a practice to ask you to do in this moment. What I'm going to offer today is an awareness practice, because that is, I think, the crux of all of it. You know, until we have awareness, we live in that fogginess, you know, the glasses, the, the, the lens is not so clear because we're just kind of moving along and doing things maybe by rote, maybe by, you know, the, the idea that we know, I don't know, um, but this idea of awareness. So what I'm going to suggest, and you can take it or leave it, it's up to you, is to next time you're asked to do something that seems out of your comfort zone, notice what happens to your physical body. Notice your physical responses to that, that inquiry to do something. And notice what your impulse is. If your impulse is to say no, know that. And maybe say no, it might be for your better good. Notice if that comes up again, how many times this particular invitation comes into your life. And then one time, just say yes, do it. Find out what happens. Like notice all of the layers of your body as you make the choice to go into this space of discomfort or new learning or um, anything that just might be outside your range. I you know Teresa talks a lot about stretching toward your edge, you know, finding where the edges are. And so I love that image. You know, you were talking about the container of the adventure being a cool image. This idea of the edge, I think, is also really cool. So whether you choose to go beyond the edge or stay within the boundary of the edge, that's up to you. But just to notice how you respond to invitations outside your comfort zone. When you say yes, why did you say yes this time? Why have you said no before? And just maybe even create a map for yourself, this, these mind maps, a, an outline, some kind of record of the journey so that you can refer back to it. So that if you're a journaler, maybe have a section of your journal. Sometimes I'll take the back of my journal and that becomes my to-do list where the front of my journal is more the narrative stuff. So maybe there's a, you put a tab in your journal and you just write, or maybe you draw pictures. Maybe you're a visual artist. Maybe you're a sculptor. Doing something tangible that is reflective of your journey may give you reference points back to be able to see progress, to see you know where you are on the journey. So that you know Teresa had mentioned before about the journey provides hope, and part of our practice is you know, not to cling to hope or fear, because those are two roots of our suffering, but also to acknowledge when we're hopeful. This is not to say don't be hopeful. There is hope. The hero's journey gives us that because it is. it shows us that we we can change. It shows us that we do change, that we are the drivers of our own life experience. So to be hopeful, but not to cling to it, and to just be curious about your particular journeys. Journal and journeys have a similar route. Is that an accident? I do not know. Um, but then maybe if, if writing or creating about your current journey is too close, if it feels like too much, or there's no perspective yet for it, that's a choice too. 
go back and look and see where your hero's journeys have shown up in your life and journal that or create art about that. Doing something with your hands that connects with your mind and your heart um, to, to show yourself that these journeys are happening <laughs> all the time. I hope that made sense and I hope that it is a meaningful practice for you. That practices don't have to be, you know, so rigid. They don't have to be in um, a, a conservative container of the past. You know, this is how we've always done it, so this is how you have to do it. You know, draw outside the lines on this one. Yeah. Drawing outside the lines. Wow. So um, that leads right in. Are we surprised? Are we surprised? To, <laughs> to where I wanted to go next and to, um, I do love noticing what shows up and when it shows up and also how it shows up. And I think that's the practice of um, starting to just notice what is it that you see along your journey. And over the past couple of months, and I may have mentioned this before as well, the word magic kept showing up in my life. And it kept showing up in capital letters, the word magic. And magic is the name of my motorhome. So I have a sign in there that says magic in it. But the words magic just kept showing up over and over and over again. So I began to notice it in the same way that animals. Now, Sherry has mentioned the red fox that keeps showing up for her. But interestingly enough, as I've been walking on the farm, I've seen a red fox 15 times. I was able to almost approach one because it was so sound asleep that it gave me the opportunity to come up and look at it more closely and how it just blended beautifully into the environment in such a way that had I not been paying attention to what I was noticing, I never would have saw it. Uh, so it just blended in and I was like, and the first word that came to me was, wow, this is magical that I can get so close to this animal that usually is, you know, sly as a fox and off out of your way. You get glimpses, not, you know, personal close up time. So what's showing up and why? And as part of my practice, I began to notice that. And I noticed the people who are showing up and how they're showing up and what practices I could put into my life that maybe didn't feel like I had to work at them, that just organically blended in. And I already mentioned how much I love to go out for a walk. But I also, maybe you know, maybe you don't, I have five sisters and <laughs> a uh, abundance of nieces and nephews and a brother, of course. Um, but anyway, my sisters have made it a priority that we would get together and do things together. So this weekend, we went on an arts and crafts day. And I got to go with my sisters and some of my nieces. Then we had lunch afterwards. And it's at a place called Board and Brush. So would you really think, mm, I'm going to Board and Brush. This is part of my practice. Maybe not. But 
spending times with my sisters, leaning into the support at this place in my journey is a very important practice. And so I created at Board and Brush, so you get there, I picked out a project, honestly, the day I showed up, I didn't remember what I picked it out. We had done it months ago. <laughs> but we show up with a craft, and we're guided through step-by-step step of how to take this craft from raw wood into an end product, right? So a hero's journey in itself. It goes from raw to being this beautiful thing that I created. And when I got there, the sign that I created, maybe we'll use it as part of the um, teaser imagery. So I'll take a photo and I'll put it in our imagery. The sign that I created on my board says, trust in the magic of new beginnings. And I think it fits perfectly in with this heroic journey is that we leave knowing that we're on a journey of some, to create something new. And it involves a lot of letting go and a lot of trust and belief in the magic. So my niece was with me, and at the end she's looking and she says, look, I'm gonna say that my, my young daughter did this. My, I think she's four, sorry if I got the age wrong. I'm gonna say that she created this because look, in my working with the stencil, I did it so fast that I've colored all outside the lines. And I was like, that's the beauty of this, is that there's this very, very geometric shape that you have chosen to create. And in its balance and integrity of design, you gave it life and depth with the permission to color outside those lines. So as a practice, what shows up? Why does it show up? And yeah, let's practice outside and color outside the lines for a little bit and maybe dissolve some of the old boundaries so that we can find new ones and create nice, clear, authentic boundaries for ourselves. That's beautiful. my part. Oh, it's beautiful, beautiful. Oh, well, I, I think that's, you know, where that's a, a nice winding down of this, this conversation. And just to remind the listeners out there that while Teresa and I are talking to each other on Zoom, we're looking at each other, we're having this conversation, you are always with us. I mean, we, we are talking to you and with you and would love to hear from you. Um, and any, we're easy to find. We're on social media, Anecdotal Anatomy, and our email is anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Simple, easy, easy. So, you know, we, we always say, please email us. Please let us know your stories. Hopefully there will come a time where we will say, please stop emailing us and stop <laughs> telling us your stories, though we will still always want to hear them. But know that, you know, this is not an exercise of just, you know, getting on and, and talking. There's, it's meaningful and it's meaningful because of you. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for another round of casual conversation. Consistent showing up is the key, whether it's for practices, study, relationships, or anything you truly want to understand or master. That's why we keep showing up, not only to better understand the mystery of life on this planet, and in these bodies for ourselves, but to be able to see our connections more clearly so that we can better communicate them to you. On our next episode, we will be talking about that which is quote unquote after the because. 
Now, Teresa introduced me to this idea and it has changed my life. What we mean by after the because is all the stories that we tell ourselves. So-and-so did that to me because, well, you know, unless you asked so-and-so, everything you tell yourself is just a story. I once had a theater director named Alan Fleissig from the Hampton Playhouse in New Hampshire. They're, sadly, they're both gone now. But he said, the only thing that's true about what you think is true about another person is that it's what you think. He could just as easily have said, everything you tell yourself after the because is a story you made up. <laughs> so the next time you tell yourself that your best friend didn't return your text because she's pissed off at you, know that you are telling yourself a fiction. Now, it may be true, but you won't know for sure unless you ask. That is our next episode. Oh, and one more thing before we sign off. If you are in Bucks County, PA, or in the surrounding areas, we are hosting our first event of Anecdotal Anatomy in action. Save the date, April 22nd, 2022 at 7 p.m. There's more details to follow. Thank you to our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our themed music, and Cindy Fatsis, our photographer. Until next time, I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I am Sherry Sadoff-Hank, and we are Anecdotal Anatomy.